We're recording inside the Cohab Podcast Studio space under the Texas Street Bridge by the Red River in downtown Shreveport, Louisiana, and this is the 3180 Podcast. What is going on in the 318? What is our current identity? Shreveporters can make this place into the city we want it to be. It's time for Shreveport to make a 180. Every Thursday, we are having conversations about doing just that. We're talking to people who are making the difference in our city. I'm Josh Clayton. I'm Thomas Young. Welcome to the 3180 Podcast. Episode 7 of the 3180 Podcast features Jim Malsh. A conversation that Jim and Thomas and I had months ago is, in fact, the genesis of the 3180 Podcast, and we've tried to have him on a number of times, but he finally showed up for Episode 7. When he got out of high school, he decided he wanted to play bass in a reggae band called the Killer Bees in the 80s. He moved back to Shreveport and started ECS out of his parents' garage. Um, They grew that into, he and his partners grew that into a multi-million dollar operation and he sold out of his share very recently. Jim is a guy that always seems to follow his passions, whether it's playing bass in a reggae band or computers. His current passion is the rehabilitation of a beautiful building in downtown Shreveport that used to serve as the Andrus Ford dealership. He'll talk about that today. He'll talk about all the businesses that he's involved in, primarily as a mentor and as an investor. He recently purchased Treeport Music, and um, he's an investor in Red River Brewing and a mentor to guys like Jared Bevel and um, Jason Brady and a lot of the folks here at Cohab. A number of our guests in Episodes 1 through 6, they know Jim, and they've told us that we should have him on. So welcome Jim Malsh to Episode 7 of the 3180 Podcast. Jim Malsh, what's up? Not much, man. Appreciate you having me. It's you. You're really here. Yeah, I'm really here. You're, you were today's backup, and you were today. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah. Jared Bevel told us to get you in here, uh, but that was the day you were supposed to be here. And uh, Jer- Jason Brady, I think, told us we should get you in here, but that was another day you were supposed to be in here. Yeah. But now you're here. I'm here. You're here. I'm so here. what's going on? What you up to? Man, there's a lot going on. Uh, obviously, since I retired, I'm, I'm busier than I've been. Um you know, just recently back in May, purchased Shreveport Music. Um, got out of ECS at the end of, at the end of this, uh, last year. Um, Shreveport, and then uh, yeah, Shreveport Music. Um, been hanging out here at Cohab on Wednesdays and Fridays, uh, working with startups. Uh, what else? About to um, about to uh, start developing a building downtown. The uh, Andrus, the old Andrus Ford Building. Which was a beautiful building built in 1920. Um, what is yeah. it right now? What is it right now? It's a decaying. Uh, it was a parking garage. Sounds like a great investment. Yeah, it's it's really it, you know it's 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 in an opportunity zone. We've discussed that. Um, you know, it's it's eligible for federal and and state tax credits. Um, their cost segregation. I mean, it's it's a total redo. Um, it needs everything except walls. And concrete floors. And, it's got uh, the floors and the walls it's covered. It's got the floors and walls covered. Well, the floors don't, do have holes in them, but uh, they'll be patched. So it's going to be it's going to be an undertaking. But I'm really excited about it. You know, it's going to be a um, the bottom floor. It's about a 24,000 square foot building. The bottom floor is going to be a artist co-op, similar to kind of how Cohab operates. It'll be a nonprofit. Uh, the uh, the ups, upstairs will be a uh, entrepreneur center. Um, so it's going to be called the Andrus Artists and Entrepreneur Center. Well, cool. Well, we'll get into all this stuff in detail. Um, I've known you for a while now. Um, your name kept coming up when I was looking at downtown property. 
and I introduced you to Thomas going on probably six months ago, and which launched a series of conversations uh, between Thomas and other folks and me over and over again until we finally decided to start recording them. So to some degree, our conversation here at Cohab with you was the genesis of the 3180 podcast. So cool. very cool. Tell me, um, tell me what, what was the name of your reggae band? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, so I was in the uh, in the uh, early '80s, I guess around '82. Well, actually, I actually started playing playing with the, the band when I was 17 in clubs around here, and uh, so I was in the, the bass player for the Killer Bees. And right. um, and actually, I graduated high school in '81. And you got out of what school? High school. What? Yeah, Capture. Sorry. Cap yeah, 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 Cap right. Your local yeah, guy. You yeah, grew up in Shreveport. Yeah, grew up, born and raised in Shreveport. My dad was an attorney. My mom was a, a school teacher at St. Joseph's. All right. Uh, right after Shreve, I started going to uh, LSUS in business administration, and unfortunately playing at night, or fortunately playing at night. So I was getting in pretty late, and. Um, and then we were approached by uh, a, 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 a agent out of Austin. And so I quit college and went on the road with the band for about a year and a half. I'm sure there's some pretty good stories there. Oh, there's some stories there. My parents were extremely proud. I bet they were. <laughs> Lawyers love when their kids become uh, professional musicians. Yeah. What, uh, all right, so what, you came back to Shreveport? Came back to Shreveport. Um, I remember calling my parents in uh, Colorado Springs and said, uh, I'm done with the band. Came back. I didn't go back to college, but I did go to the technical school here. I've always loved electronics. I went to Career Center in high school, so I uh, got into computers. Did you, learn, did you go to Votech up on North Market? I went to Votech, yeah. All right. Yeah, so I went to Votech and computer maintenance at the time. So that was probably around 80, 84, 85. Um, did you like computers or did you just like electronics? I, I liked electronics and I liked troubleshooting. I liked the logic behind all that. I didn't really... You know, back then, I mean, the computer was, a, you know, it was a five and a quarter floppy disk, and, you know, computers were $6,000, and, and so, you know, there wasn't, it's not like today. Um, but after I graduated from uh, from the technical school, I, I hung out with a buddy of mine playing like we were looking for a job for a little while, but then I got in, uh, I was employed at a company called Business Land down on Texas Street. All right. And um, started there working, uh, worked my way up to systems engineer. Um, and just watched the company implode around me. And actually, I was at training in uh, in Orlando, Florida, for Hewlett Packard. And uh, while while I was in training, they came and uh, they came and laid off everybody, um, except for myself, a salesperson and admin person. So the company was going down pretty fast. And then that's when I decided to branch off and start my own company. So you start by yourself, or did you bring in some partners, or how'd you do it? I had one partner, uh, Ron Freeman, who's uh, down in Houston now, and uh, and he was working for a microage, and then so we put we put together a business plan and put our suits on and went to the Commercial National Bank back in the day and borrowed twenty thousand dollars and you know started out in Madison Park Business Center. Madison Park over Key Mexico is. Yeah, yeah. And so, what does ECS stand for? Enterprise Computing Services. So you they gave you twenty grand. They gave me twenty grand. Yeah. What was collateral? The house. Okay, you owned a house at that point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I owned a, a little house on Albert. All right. So you got a house in Broadmoor. You put it up for collateral. You get twenty grand from CNB, and you open up in Madison Park. I open up in Madison Park. Um, you know, the joke is we opened up with two folding tables, twenty grand, and uh, and a computer that I brought from the house. Then what happened? 
so after that, you know, I mean, and, and the beauty about the, the business model that we, we, we uh, came up with was, you know, this computer sales, because of pressure from Dell and a lot of the other white box manufacturers, um, they were really, you know, coming down in price. So, so what we decided to do was just start a computer services company and focus strictly on service because we really didn't, didn't have any money to buy equipment, buy inventory. Um, the, uh, but, um, you know, and then we just started, you know, we picked up our first six clients, Boots Pharmaceuticals, Shumpert, CMB, a few others, and uh, grew, grew from, from there. So you started doing uh, primarily service work? Primarily service, yeah. Right. Computer design, I mean, network design, security, stuff like that. So I, I, I know this, I know this lesson, but you've taught it to me before. What, um, what important thing did you do early on in business that enabled you to do what you're doing now? Do you remember telling me that? No, what was it? You had a good operating agreement. Yeah, 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 you yeah, knew, yeah, 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 absolutely. You, you absolutely. knew your goals, you knew your goals a long absolutely. time ago. Yeah, you're right, you're right. Yeah, we did, uh, we did have a good operating agreement. My, our, my goal, uh, I didn't know back then, but later on, um, you know, it was to get out in 25 years when I turned 55 and then start Mosh 2.0, I guess is kind of a funny thing that I came up with, you know, where I'm working more with startups. Um, ECS is a great company, they have a great leadership. When I got out there, around 50 employees, um, you know, um, you know, but I, I just love the startup environment, startup companies, and, and you know, it's like I told my, the now CEO of, of, of ECS that, you know, I'm good for hanging on the rocket ship once, once the company gets into orbit, I like to get off and do something different. Makes sense. So you left ECS in what year? I left ECS in 2000 at the end of 2018. All right. And you've been, I didn't probably get to know you very well until 18 or 19. And so I've known you since your exit. And um, you, you seem to be, you have your hands in a lot of different cookie jars in town. You've got your, you're a mentor to so many folks. And, but what, what I've noticed is from, from the reggae band to the computers to everything you're involved in now, you're not in it for the money. Like you're in it because you're you're into whatever you're into, like you're following your passions. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. You know, I mean, look, you know, when when ECS was really really growing, I mean, we built my wife and I built a big house in the gated community. We had the lake house and all that, and and now that we've we've come full circle, you know, we've downsized a lot. We're in Broadmoor. We're, we're actually a street over from where we started thirty years ago. Um, you know, and and we're we're. I love, you know, I love what I'm doing. I mean, I'm, I'm extremely busy. I love um, mentoring people. I, I love people, seeing people and companies succeed. That's also like, that's troubleshooting. The thing you liked about it is going to Votech, it's like, all right, tell me what the problems are. I'll fix the problems. And then like. Well, you know, I didn't have a cohab or really a mentor back then. And so we, it was a lot of trial and error when you start a business and, you know, a company looks a lot different when you have two employees to 10 employees to 25 to 50 and on up. And um, and so, you know, obviously you make a lot of mistakes. Um, but, you know, they're all, they're all, you know, when you expand, I mean, at one time we had offices in Shreveport, Baton Rouge, Lafayette, Monroe, and Jackson, Mississippi. And I thought we wanted to be a big regional company. And we had a, an anchor, anchor client that kind of, you know, with Pennzoil that kind of a, allowed us to do that, but in reality, um, you know, we were losing money everywhere except Shreveport. So we kind of 
kind of, you know, you talk about like Jared Bevel, you talk about the pivot and the things like that, you know, um, with Jared Bevel's podcast, uh, you have to be able to change. And, um, and there's a lot of companies you just watch, well, my, the company I came from, you know, um, you, you just watch them just implode and, and, and eventually go out of business. How, so, how old was that company when, when you got there? Business land, it went through a lot of, um, they were probably about 10 years old. Well, when I got there, it was a fairly young San Jose, really cool Silicon Valley company. Um, and it was probably about six years old when I got there. And then they sold out to a company called Jamaican Water Properties, which was actually a utility company out of New York that just wanted to diversify. And uh, they ran it, they really ran it in the ground. But, but I, you know, I credit them for at least teaching me how not to do things when I started my business. Well, that was, what year did you say that was? 80? That was 80, that was 90, when I got into ECS, I was 94. So 87 to 94 is when I was at Businessland. Okay, but that's still after, the early 80s, mid 80s was kind of when a lot of that contraction happened with, well, there were savings and loan uh, sort of crisis before that, which hurt here for oil and gas, mm-hmm. everything. But as far as like big companies snatching up small companies, that was going on from 85 yeah. forward. Yeah. 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 So D- you, diversifying. Yeah. So ECS opened in 94. ECS opened in 94. The, the, the 386 was out or coming out? Or? Well, yeah, it was 386, 486, you know, 40 meg hard drive. Um, you know, the Apple Newton, if y'all remember those. Oh, yeah. That was... Horrible. We thought we were cool. We had a couple of those. We bring them to a client, but you couldn't couldn't ride did them. Did anyone <laughs> did anyone bite on a Newton? No, yeah. no, not at all. Now, what were we they selling for? Oh gosh, I, I I don't even remember. You know, um, they were really expensive yeah, and they didn't work. They didn't well. work at all. I so. mean, really. But they look cool when you're in somebody's office. You know, while you're taking notes on it and everything. But did you did you like Carmen San Diego or Oregon Trail better? Or did you play either one? I didn't play any. You know, I'm not a gamer. I never... Um, no Wolfenstein 3D? I, well, or... Wolfenstein I would, but, you know, I'd... I'd uh, Doom. Doom, stuff like that, a little bit. I get pretty motion sickness. Did, like, did yeah. you, but did you know the, like, the ScanDisc crew? Like, that was a little before you, huh? Yeah, no, yeah. Because those guys were... That's who was developing... That's a local guy. The, they're, they weren't local, but they were working here for... Who owned that company? Which one was that? The scan disc. Oh, oh, oh no, that's soft disc. Soft, soft I'm disc. sorry, not yeah, 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 soft disc. Vacovius. Vacovius is yeah. owned this thing, and it was, I mean. Yeah, they were doing um, software and screensavers, and you know, I remember uh, the, the the little uh, cafe and C and B, and they would sell their um, discs with the screensavers and stuff on it. Well, I used to go over there. to the east, uh, the Eastgate Shopping Center, that, yeah. the hobby shop. They had them next to the movie theater. Yeah. They had them in there, and I would go in there. Yeah. I didn't understand what they did, yeah. but I knew like it was so cool that you could get a disc that had all this stuff on it. Games and stuff. Yeah, but I wasn't a big gamer either. I just like yeah. the, my first computer was a VIC-20. Dot matrix printers. Oh, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Print shop. Apple III. Yeah. Apple III. I had a Mac SE. It was the first computer for my house. And um, we were Apple, IBM, Compact, and HP. And we didn't do any of the clones or any of the white box stuff. And that's what really... Essentially, that's what, you know, kind of... I don't say we saw the writing on the wall, but 
um, you know, Dell was just coming out, and, and, and it was half price, you know, half the Gateway cost. Gateway was coming out at the same time, Gateway, too. Yeah, yeah. They yeah. were killing it. Yeah, they were killing it. And, uh, but, you know, that, that, that storefront, I mean, now you have Best Buy and that. That's kind of, kind of coming back a little bit. But that whole storefront of going in and, you know. Buying a computer. Buying a computer yeah. just doesn't, doesn't happen. So and it was a lot cheaper for us to, I mean, it's less, less expensive for us to get into the business just offering services. Yeah, you don't have to maintain inventory and acquire new stuff and displays. And right, that. right. So what, um, what did you do right in business to be able to scale it up the way you did and then to be able, I mean, the, the business is still ongoing. You're not in yeah, it anymore, yeah, but what no. did you do correctly? Man, so, you know, one of the things, like I said, I learned a lot from my, my, my previous employer, you know, is they, they were so focused on the company and not on the customer and much less on the employees. And so it was kind of reverse. Um, and uh, and so, you know, if we came to your law firm and, and I sat down with you, I'd probably say you're not a good fit for our company. Yeah. And you can't do that in Shreveport. Mm-hmm. But, you know, this is dictated from New York. And so, so we flipped it around, and I remember going to Booth's Pharmaceuticals, and, and, you know, my dad, being the cautious lawyer, said, don't tell anybody what you're doing, but you can tell them that you enjoyed it, that you're leaving, and all that. So I went, and, uh, and I remember uh, the gentleman at, at Booth's, and he said, uh, well, come see me after you start your business. And so we went from, obviously, we were, we were hungry, so it's like, what do you need us to do? We'll do everything. And so... You know, we just created a really good culture, and I came from a bad culture. And, uh, and you know, just uh, just when we hire people, you know, we hire the right people and we take care of them, and they in turn take care of the customers, and then the, you know, the, the, the uh, outcome is profit, a profitable company. Now, you have to measure, and I get all that, but I'm not really good with the, when a company gets to the size like ECS, I'm not a good process guy. Procedures yeah. guy, you know. But it was a customer service focused company. It was it's absolutely in, customer focused. In a small town, I mean, we've, we've had this conversation on the podcast before about Shreveport be, really is a small town. Sure. And we like small town dealing. Sure. Well, we were, you know, the way that we got, we, we got business was basically word of mouth, mm-hmm. you know, and, um, and we did that up until probably five years ago when we started hiring salespeople. Yeah. So it was very principle-led, you know, myself and my partners would go out and talk to people, and, um, and that's how we acquired business. But you can't do, you know, obviously you can't do that because you have other duties you have to do later on. How do, how do you teach, I mean, you can't, especially when you scale up to the size that you guys got to, like, you can't be there all the time. You can't be at every customer's location. You can't make every sale. And then you can't deliver on every sale that's made, like you personally. Right, right. ECS can, like, how do you teach an employee, hey, the customer is the most important thing. They might not always be right, mm-hmm. but the customer is who pays our bill. Like, how do you teach them that and make it, if they don't own the business, how do you teach them to care as much as you care? Well, you know, when you when you have a few people, it's easy, it's easy to preach the culture and, and you know, and get people on board with what you're thinking. Um as you as you have to introduce layers as far as managers and things like that, you know you have people in place that can push that down to the lower level level people. Yeah, um, it's tough to it's t- you know cultures change. I mean, and it's tough to maintain the same culture that you had twenty five years ago. Yeah. Um, does that answer your question or no? It's completely no. evasive. <laughs> it's completely evasive. You guys always hold your uh, cards too close to your chest. Um, so, so you're you're. 
out of a large scale operation, and and now you, I see you got your shirt on the JRM Ventures. Yeah. So let's start with, um, I think you you and I had met, but I was talking about trying to le- leverage these opportunity zones. Right. And I'm not. I don't want to get too into the opportunity zone weeds just now. Like we can do that later, but. I think I was talking to a CPA in town. And they said, you really need to talk to Jim Walsh. He's leveraging the opportunity zone with historical tax credits, federal and state, with something called cost segregation, blah, blah, blah. Like, yeah. But he's doing this building, and it's right on common. So tell me, like, wh- what are you doing? What is? Why did you look at Andrus Ford right across yeah. from Strack? Why did you look at that building on Crockett and say, that one, that's going to be mine? Yeah, yeah. Well, it's a cool building. You know, and uh, my wife and I have driven by it several times. Everybody has. And, uh, you know, and, er- and everybody I talked to and said, that that would be a really cool building to do something with. And they go, man, we love it, you know. But nobody's, you know, it, it, there's other groups that were looking at it, but it just isn't, didn't work financially for them. Um, but everyone says that. Every, like, about all downtown buildings. They're, yeah. they're like, well, well, you know, this just, the numbers, we can't make the numbers work. Yeah. So what, what, are, what are you, look, what numbers are you looking at that work for Jim Moss that don't that, that just don't work for other people. So so with the opportunity zone, you know, um, that's a tax deferral um, as we've discussed. So uh, you know, you, whatever money goes in, it would be tax cap, capital gains tax. You can defer that. Um, historical tax credits, you know, that's twenty percent federal, twenty percent state. So right off the bat, it, let's say theoretically the building's a two and a half million dollar build out. Well, it's a million dollars in tax credits right off the top. Um, so can you can you kind of walk through how that works? Like a lot of people, like to the layman out there, like what does twenty percent tax credit mean? Like what does that even mean? So like the state, that's on your federal taxes. So you, you would get that tax break, and then the state taxes you can actually sell. You know, well, the credit even even more baseline than that. So you buy this building, and I, I don't know what the sale price was, right. and I don't know if you can even tell us. But you, you let's just say for ease of math. You go buy a building for a half a million dollars, five hundred k, and you bring in a contractor, and that contractor says, "Yep, I can make this look just like you want it for one point five million." Mm-hmm. And you and say you have millions of dollars in the bank, so you pay cash, you pay five hundred k for the building, and you tell the um, you tell the contractor, "Okay, I'll pay you one point five million to get it looking like I want it to." All contingencies aside, don't worry about if the build out doesn't go as you plan. Where, where does this 20%, like how do you get 20%? What does that even mean? So it, it, it's really for investors who will have a taxable ex- experience on that. Okay. Um, so, you know, that they they may be in that upper tax bracket, okay. you know, and they need the, ta- the tax break so they can okay. apply those federal cre- credits and state credits to their, their, in- their income. Personal income taxes. Yes. Yeah. What about what about if a corporation acquires the building and a corporation pays the contractor for the one point five million dollar build out? Does that corporation is it allowed to take a twenty percent? I believe so. So, all right. So at the end of the year, you go to your CPA and he says, you, you know, you all of your assets and all of your income, you know, you made three million dollars this year, mm-hmm. and you're going to have to pay thirty percent on that. So you're going to have to pay nine hundred thousand. Oh wait, you have this building that you bought for half a million and you paid for a one point five million dollar build out. Total two million. You made three million, you owe nine hundred K in taxes, 
Tell me how it helps you out. Well, it's it. I would think it'd be a twenty percent credit on. Okay, on, on what you spend. On what so, you spend. So, like that'd be over two million. That's four hundred. And I believe it's over multi years too. Okay, so all right. So instead of paying nine hundred k, you might only have to pay five hundred k because the four hundred k would come, and that, that's real simplified. Yeah. But that's what people mean when they say federal tax credits. Yeah. Tell me what you mean. The same math. What about a state same tax with credit? State. But you sell, you buy and sell. Well, tax you can, credit. you can, you can, you can sell the, the state tax credits, but it's usually eighty nine cents on the dollar. Okay. So if you let's say you who have, buys them, you have a tax. Any individual who I, I mean, I buy them, I buy them. Um, you know, at the end of the year, for uh, for my my tax. You okay. Know, and uh, you know, so it's, yeah. It's, it's so, so investors buy these tax credits. Yeah. And then sell them. Yeah. And so, what's the benefit to the investor? They can buy low and sell high, or I mean, yeah, no, I mean, it's not a big. Yeah, it's not a big. It's not a big it's profit a big, margin. Big profit. You're saving some money. Yeah. I mean, you're you know you're buying them for, so you're saving you know, twenty cents on the dollar. Okay. In taxes. So on our same two million dollar building, um, how how do the state historical historical tax credits help help an investor out? Well, I mean, obviously, if they're if they're a high income individual, then you know that'll be their apply for their tax break. Okay, so because they've spent half a million buying it, one point five on the build out, they now have the opportunity to apply the tax credits or sell them. Okay, just for the state. And if they sell them, they make money, and that's money that they make. Yeah, okay. So at a certain level, once you go from paycheck to paycheck, you're then more concerned about keeping what's coming in and any event that can help you keep that is worth the effort because otherwise, if you are going to work every day, you're making a dollar and the government and the state are taking 50 cents. Yeah. If you can get them to take 40 cents, that's how it works. Right. That's not an everyman situation yeah. that is a very that's a that's a, a finance uh illustration of finance yeah. not you know we're not talking about checkbook math right necessarily so i think that that's where there's a oh well what, what is this opportunity zone what is this you know tax abate but yeah. what is that's where yeah, it, applies, it doesn't apply to everybody every day, and they can't bring it home and make it really understand it based on their on their checkbook. Right, and I think that that's why when you have Shreveport here with a lot of uh, things in that zone, there are also zones in Natchitoches, mm-hmm. Alexandria, New Orleans, and Plano. And when you have people in Plano that are if they're having an event in their life where they started a, a company such as Jim's initial company, and let's say Dell, Michael Dell starts a company for uh, $20,000 in two card tables and then sells that to, you know, takes that to a public company, which he then, like, we're way in the weeds now. Yeah. But yeah. if he is getting, ta- if his he sells that company and it's like, okay, you just made, yeah, ten million. You just made ten million dollars. If you can save forty yeah. percent, if you could save ten percent on that number, yeah, that's more money than ten families around here need. Yes. Yeah, I mean, so like for the. I mean, I guess some people that listen to this podcast might not know, but if you 
start a company for zero dollars and sell it for ten million, you owe the federal government two million. Right. You yeah. owe them twenty yeah. percent. You build a company from nothing, from a garage, right. from card tables. Right. But they're like, oh, oh, you did really well over the last twenty years. You went from zero to twenty mil. Right. Or ten. You know, you owe us twenty percent of that. Thanks. Right. And so that guy is looking for ways to reduce that $2 million tax burden. Absolutely. And, and Enter I, the opportunity zone right. where yeah. there, you can create a qualified opportunity fund and you can put capital gains in there and you don't that you can put your $2 million that you would otherwise pay the federal government into but you, the QOF. But you cannot put ordinary gains in there. So if Jim is going to work every, every week, he's building a company and they're paying him $2 million a year, he cannot take that, put it in, and then save he, on that. I think but, he can put it in the fund, but he won't get the yeah, tax he benefit. He, he won't get the tax benefit right. on the front end, but he is. it's possible that if you build a business with that fund, then that, at the end of that business cycle, once that his money goes in, it's not tax deferred on the front end, but he spends that money to buy another two card tables and give somebody $20,000. They build said company that's worth now Mm -hmm. whatever number we just said. Once that sells, he's still owner. So he would then face the same taxable event. However, uh, according to the, the structure of this entity now, that would be, he would not face a taxable event at the end of that. That is the understanding that I have. Is that? Yeah, without getting a CPA on here and drawing it out on paper, but the, yeah. I mean, the, the, the capital gains that go in, you do have to pay taxes on them in 2026. But, but when, what I'm saying when they, is... When it grows yes. and you sell that building that a QOF funded, the capital gains on that building, you, you bought this, you bought a half a million dollar building, put 1.5 into it, and 20 years from now it sells for 20 million. Right. You, that's a capital that would be otherwise considered a capital gains, and based on the opportunity zone tax or the, the Trump tax plan, and Cory Booker put in the opportunity zone thing. Based on that sale, your capital gains are not taxed that's if right. you left the money in long enough. That's right, right. It's a ten-year window. Yeah. But so now that no one is listening anymore, right. and we've lost <laughs> all of our listeners, you are employing opportunity zone tax credits, historical, uh, state, federal. You're doing this cost segregation. Let's not get into that. Right. But you're doing this to a downtown building in Shreveport. Uh, you know, it, is it? It's in Shreveport Common. It's in Shreveport Common. It's right across from the fire station that's been redone by SRAP. Correct. And it's on Crockett Street. Right. And it's on Common Street. Right. So let's go into detail about what your plan is for that. Okay. So, so like I said, the uh, the bottom floor will be a artist co-op. Um, I I met with Shrack, with Pam Atchison and Wendy Ben Scotter. Uh, which report common and uh, they actually did a, a survey with local artists and they uh, came up with a, a really detailed plan about what that space might look like and so I took their recommendations and designed it around that a clean room a little kitchenette you know um, space where they could all kind of you know co- cohabitate kind of like the, the workers do here at Cohab. Also, we'll have a gallery in the front, which will be run by the artist, and so they'll be able to sell their sell their uh, their art and everything there. That's going to be pretty cheap. I don't know the exact, you know, I don't put a dollar amount on it because the upstairs is going to be very expensive, and uh, and I've already got. Herbal. I mean, cheap for the tenant. Cheap for the tenant, yeah, okay. because the upstairs will be, you know, will be entrepreneurs, 
you know, or people that can support entrepreneurs, attorneys, marketing people, uh, web design, things like that. I've already got it probably about 60% uh, verbal commitments from companies. And I say, look, it's going to be expensive and I, I don't want to get a dollar amount. But I mean, how cool to have your office looking over into the strand. Yeah. You know, and so, you know, I see the two, the two floors working together. So you, you kind know? of have a WeWork supporting a makerspace. Absolutely. Basically, yeah, that's... Yeah, WeWork is, is a great example. Yeah. You know, uh, WeWorks are not cheap. Yeah. You know, but it, we will cover, it's going to be, a, a, you know, working with Jeff Spikes and Luke Lee here. It's just going to be an incredible building. And, um, and plus, you know, with the, the two doctors and what they've got going on with the distillery... I mean, and we've already been in conversation about how do we kind of connect those together. Yeah. Um, so that's going to be a really cool block, I think. Yeah, Crockett's got some potential. It's got it's got some vacancies. Thomas and I looked at a park garage over there ten times. Yeah, and sure. I don't know if anything's going to come out. I'll walk that with you. Oh yeah. <laughs> that well, was it's it's another one of these vacant properties that you know every, you got a lot of vision for it, but yeah. how do you try, how do you make it profitable? So you're going to make yours profitable by renting space. It'll be profitable. It's got to be, you know. Yeah. Um, you know the. Uh, well, let's let's talk about that a little bit more. Like, you know, maybe <laughs> differentiate between why yours needs to be profitable versus why nonprofits don't need to be profitable, or why, you know, everyone has all these visions in town of what needs to be done with the government money, or a, let's put a nonprofit here. Why are you going for? Why are you going for a makerspace downstairs? Why are you going for art? And why are you going for entrepreneurial space and entrepreneurial um, collaborative space upstairs? While all these guys can afford their own offices and their right. own buildings, right. why are they up there with you? So the um, so kind of the upstairs will be designed, the, the perimeter will be offices, but there'll be a, a, a large common area, about 3,400 3, square feet. The idea, if, if you read Steve Jobs' book, you know, it's kind of how Pixar was, where people have to come out of their offices and they're, they're going to pass each other and they're going to talk. And, I mean, you see the energy here at Cohab and what happens, um, you know. And, and, and so, you know, as I sell this to people, I'm not saying don't look at the square footage and price per square foot. I mean, you can get a beige office, you know, building and, and sit in your office all day long and not see another person for $10 a foot. But, you know, how, how cool to have a space where like-minded people are working and, and collaborating and creating um, and, and supporting the artists downstairs. And, um, and that was the sale to, uh, to Shreveport Common, you know, is to have that art component because it's right there on the edge of Shreveport Common. Yeah, and I think that's uh, uh, I can't, what was the name of that book, the Walkable City book. Yeah, yeah, the Jeff Speck Walkable City, where they're talking about that basically you encourage people to go out in the street. That's where they meet other people, they exchange ideas. They that's the that's yeah. why cities built up the way they did. Now everybody sort of lives outside, drives in, goes to their beige office, mm -hmm. goes inside, sits down, is on a computer, feeling like they're probably talking to right. a lot of people, but. That's kind of the, you know, it's like looking at your Facebook feed. It's kind of the same, like, people. You're seeing kind of the same thing. Like, yeah. that. That's there's a metric that's telling you what to feed you. You're not, if you love the Steelers, they're not going to send you a bunch of Cowboys right. stuff. That's not how it's going to work. Because that's not what the AI tells the machine to do. So, like, if you go out in the street and that's what you're building 
you, Jared said a lot of the same thing. Like he had to sort of pivot to do a different thing, but he's basically building a village under one roof mm -hmm. where there can be a lot of like-minded people doing things that are fun. It's a village. He's building a village um, in, in a building yeah. as, as a necessity. It, it, he thought it was one thing and it turned out to be different. And that, that's what you're saying is you're going to, you're going to start the thing going one way, but there's, you're not going to, this is what it is. It's not ever going to, you know, if. Yeah, it's not a, it's not going to, I'm not looking at it. And, and again, I don't, I don't, you know, I'm not looking, I'm looking at it to be profitable and sustainable so that we can do other things. Right. I'm not, you know, I'm luckily in a position, I've got a great wife who doesn't spend a lot of money and we've, we've managed our money, you know, for, uh, really well and so I'm not looking at this to um, to get rich off of right you no know, I'm looking at this to be just uh, it's yet know. another part of your problem so it's like great let's put some people in and they're all going to be kind of doing their own thing and then you get to be there to say hey I heard you saying you were going to do a well he, he's doing exactly a exactly. and b why don't you guys get together and make c happen and then Think of, yeah, and think of Cohab kind of as an elementary school. Yeah. And then think of that as, and again, it's, it's as, uh, you know, high school. Yeah. And uh, Graduate and, and go and, over there. And the fact that it's in an opportunity zone, um, you know, I've, I've had some discussions with, you know, very preliminary discussions with EAP that that would be a space that if they have a company that can plop in there um, and then the investors, and we won't get into all that because that's, that's a totally different conversation from yeah. not the real estate play, but the business play. Yeah, yeah. You know about um, um, investing in a, in a, a company that's working in an opportunity zone. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't have to be real estate in the OZ. Yeah. It just it feels like real estate because they draw a big circle around a, a geographical area, and there are buildings in there. So it feels right. like OZ is all about buildings, but it, it can be anything inside the yep. the giant circle. And we have a giant circle sitting around our downtown right now. Yeah. So. All right, we're you. You got this. You got the Andrus Ford building. Tell us about the history of the Andrus Ford building that you're converting into this space. So it was a. Uh, it was built in 1920, um, <laughs> and I've learned a lot. Uh, this, you know, when when I presented to Shreveport Common and and the board, and they gave me the green light to go. Um, that was a year and two months ago. So we're still, you know, kind of playing badminton with the uh, the historical tax people as well as, uh, you know, the structural engineers. We had to get the building x-rayed. I mean, it's, 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 it's solid. You know, obviously it had cars on top. But, yeah, some giant x-ray machine, yeah. like scanning the front of this thing to scanning determine it, its structural. Beams. Absolutely, yeah, right. see how with the rebarb and everything. So it's a, it's a learning process for me, you know. I'm, I'm used to things moving a little faster than a year and, uh, you know, two, two or three months. But, uh, but it is what it is. But it's just a, you know, it's just in a, a cool part of downtown, and you know, it's it's got the ramp. We're going to keep the ramp. We won't use it for anything because it was, you know, built in the 1920s before. And the that. ramp used to be used for what? Yeah. Well, that, that they they were getting the cars up there, but yeah. obviously they were a lot smaller then, or you know. But um, then so is it a showroom for Ford? Or was it, it was. A, yeah, there was a showroom upstairs, and the downstairs was the service area, and then there's like a little office area in the front. Okay, that's what it used to be. And it's got the beautiful stained glass. Luke did an incredible logo for it that we'll be announcing. You know, he did our three one eight logo as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah, and he did a Shreveport Music new logo. So right. I mean, I'm keeping him busy. So everybody hit him up. Yeah, yeah. So uh, well, it, to rewind here, it, like I thought, John Grinley was 
I mean, I thought he'd gone to Dallas and saw something cool and tried to bring it back here with Cohab, and it just wasn't going to work. Yeah. He came to me in 08 or 09 to try to negotiate a lease on Commerce Street, and I said, as long as you buy me some beer and a po' boy at Bears, I'll, I'll help you out. But I hate to tell you, man, I don't think this thing's going to work. Yeah. And here we are 10 years later, yeah. and we're in Cohab, yeah. in the podcast space, talking about another business model that, it, like you said, is a graduate-level cohab program. Yeah. But it works. Well, and maybe that's the thing. Maybe it takes a little longer than you think it's going to take, but it's still yeah. it's still going. But, I mean, oh, John, yeah, yeah, when, yeah. when Grinley opened this shop up, it, I mean, like, it, to, to, to my chagrin, I mean, it absolutely, I couldn't believe it. I said, well, congrats, man. Like, yeah. you've gotten a lot of space rented out. They had events going on. They eventually moved over here under the Red River District. Um, I was a tenant for a little while between offices. Mm-hmm. I'd, I'd gotten out of the Beck building, and I was going somewhere else at some point. And I love the cohab vibe. It didn't really work for my particular business model, Yeah. Um, doing what I do for a living. But, but it's modular. You could, Hey, you know, this yeah. isn't working. I'm going to find something different. Yeah. You still have a desk. You still have... But I enjoyed working here. I enjoyed hanging out, talking to people. It's a collaborative atmosphere. Absolutely. And that's the whole thing is that, you know, if you get people to start having a conversation, you know, and, and, um, you know, then you never know. I mean, you know, all the startups here, I'm able to at least point them in the right direction if they need an attorney or an insurance company or whatever, because I've been around for 55 years and, you know, working with ECS and visiting with thousands of clients over the years, I kind of know, you know... You know, to use a John Grinley term, you know, we know how to connect the dots yeah. and get people resources, and and then hopefully they uh, they succeed. Absolutely. So you got that project in the works, and it's going along. Um, and all of your friends were very supportive of the acquisition of a, of a beaten down garage. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm sure, some people think Pretty, you're well, kind of out there for doing that. Yeah, some people. Uh, some people are thinking I'm a little little crazy. So, all right, I'm going to ask you this, like. Why not? Are you a little crazy? I think you got to be a little crazy. Okay. I just, yeah, me too. I just, yeah. but, I mean, is why, that bad? Why not? Why not right. take the same business idea and plop it in a part of town that's doing well? Or, or I mean, not, downtown's on an upswing. I think we figured that out. But yeah. remodeling an old building that was designed for a Ford dealership, display room, and garage is way harder than going out to one of the streets in town that's already doing great and just saying, hey, we're going to have a maker space here, yeah. and we're going to have a collaborative room over here, and I'm going to charge everybody rent. Like, Why don't you do that? Yeah, that, that sounds boring. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, really. Um, you know, the, the whole thing is like, you know, as you see downtown developing, you know, you got you got art space, and you got Parish Taco, and then Andrew's uh, Rhino Coffee and all that, and, and I meet at Rhino Coffee probably three times, a, three times a week now with different people, and... Um, it's starting to come back, and people are starting to live downtown, and and so I think if you can and you you can get the real estate here pretty pretty inexpensive, you know, um, because they want you, you know, with the tax incentives, they want they want you to revitalize it, um, and that's just going to be a a really really neat space. And plus, I need an office to go to too. Yeah. yeah. Well, you mentioned the Steve Jobs book. You're talking about the the big biography that yeah. was done on him. Yeah. Um, who's the author of that? He's I don't Isaac, um, I'll think of it in a minute. Yeah. He's, he's done the Ben Franklin, and he's done a couple other yeah. ones. Um, so and you mentioned Pixar. Jobs had this idea of, like, merging art with commerce. Yes. Like, he, you know, computers are a technical thing, and you obviously learned computers and made money in computers. 
but you've also made money in art as a bass player for a band. You're passionate about not only visual art, but especially uh, music. Yeah. You play music. You just bought Shreveport Music. So, you know, what's the benefit of merging the, like the entrepreneurial second floor with the artistic first floor? Or what's the benefit of having an art space next to a law office, next to the Strand, next to the municipal auditorium? Like what, how do you see that being a more organic experience than uh, 100% commerce downtown or 100% art downtown? Yeah, well, I think, uh, you know, I think obviously the, the, the entrepreneurs, the business people, the marketing people can help the artists and vice versa, you know. Um, I love art. I love, I love um, all forms of art. I mean, I'm a, I'm a horrible painter. I try. I'm a pretty decent photographer, but I'm, I'm, I'm a better bass player than anything. But, um, you know, and, 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 you know, and, and I don't know, you know, let's, let's just see how it, how it molds together. I think they inform one another. Yeah. I think there's, to some degree, uh, the iPod didn't come about because someone was obsessed with computers. You know, like the, the sales pitch wasn't, we have a, a little white computer now that goes in your pocket and does computer stuff. Right. It was a thousand songs in your pocket. That was the marketing. And that required an artistic brain and a commercial brain and a marketing brain to figure out what, people don't want a computer. They want to do stuff. Right. They want music. They want to be able to access it easily and quickly. They don't want to, I mean, some people just don't care to know how to code, right? So, yeah. like, I mean, I, I think I think an organic an organic growth for downtown includes the Riverview Theater and the aquarium and the Jim Mulsh space. It needs a Robinson and a Parish. You know, and mm-hmm. you can't design that on the front end. All those things work together, though. They, they all yeah. support each other, which is sort of the, what Jared was saying. He's like, yeah. we, we, we thought we were doing this, but then we realized... This supports that. Yep. Let's just put them all under the same. If somebody wants to go and, and have a beer, they probably want food too. Mm-hmm. What's what? Does anybody want to? Oh yeah, there are a lot of people interested in blowing glass. We can put that in here too. Yeah, it's like and buying the product after and, it's done. And that's yeah. not something that that never came up in a brainstorming. Like, no, 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 all I, the I, ideas are good ideas. No one ever said glass blowing, and no one no. would have given him funding. We talked about that too. Like you don't go to investors. You're like, look. I'm going to put a meat shop and a butcher <laughs> behind my beer shop, and we're going to have some dudes blowing glass out front. You can rent out a room over there, too, and have an event space. That sounds like total garbage. Right. Yeah, and then, yeah it's just it, it, it's, been, it's been neat to be a part of Red River and see how it's evolved. And how'd you from, get involved with those guys? Well, you know, they started out here at Cohab, and I, I think I was the executive director. I was there for five years, uh, a year or two with John, and then uh, now with Jessica. And now I'm still on the board, um, and then I'm, I'm working here, you know, in a, a very part-time, semi-paid position. Um, semi-paid you know, position. To, to hang out. But, uh, but you know, Jared, you know, just listening to him, you know, his presentation in the early days and everything, and what we look at it, you know, when we, when we mentor or, you know, or advise or talk to people is, are they coachable, and will they pivot? You know, and a lot of times people won't pivot. And, um, and then just run the company into the ground. So, you know, I invested a little bit of money in with Jared and then just kind of hung out with him and got him through some of the tough times, you know, because the distribution model wasn't working at all. Yeah. You know, when they started, I think there was like eight, eight microbreweries in Louisiana, and, you know, and then now there's over 40 yeah. or something. All of a sudden there's... 
Yeah, he gave the exact stat of like from from the the very beginning of Red River when he and Bo and Robert decided, right. hey, let's brew, let's get out of our garage. There was like four microbreweries in the state. Yeah. To the point at which they opened their doors to the tap room and there were like thirty something in in a span of two or three years. Yeah. Completely yeah. ballooned. Yeah, it did, and and you're competing for shelf space, and. Um, and, you know, not everybody is going to go buy a Red River beer, I'm sorry. Yeah. You know, at, at, at Brookshire's. Yeah. Um, but. That's what we t- we were talking to Tim Hawk last week, and he was saying there's certain guys that, hey, I'll try. I'll try this. And right. then there's other guys that are like, I drink Bud Light or I drink yeah. Miller Light. That's yeah. what I drink. I don't care if it's more expensive or less. You can't coerce people into buying something they don't like. Certain people. Certain people yeah. you can, hey, this is on sale. I'm going to try it. Hey, it was good. Or, oh, I didn't like yeah. it. But that's two different types of people. And, you know, in in your space, for instance, you're going to have both of those types of people to be able to learn from each other. That's what that's what you get with, you know, we work upstairs and, and makerspace yeah. downstairs. Well, I think, you know, um, and, and, you know, the glass blowing, was a, that was a funny story because I was meeting with Michelle Pennington there, Anthony was bringing food out, taking pictures of it for waiter or for the website. So he, we got to eat lunch for free there. And then uh, Jared came out and started talking to Michelle and was talking about how his wife loves to blow glass. And, 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 and they had just bought this portable unit. And Jared goes, why don't you put it here? And uh, the rest is history. Yeah. Man. That's, but if, that's the other thing. We talk about this a lot. It, it, we don't, things don't work out of you know if you're not there if you're not in your building you're gonna you're gonna go you're gonna put money and time and energy into figuring out how to put this building together and then put people in there that hopefully work well together and if you're not like but then you can't just leave because then it won't work because they they don't have the captains left the ship that's you know and, and especially if you're not you don't seem to be the ego type person that's like I'm the captain nah. like that's that doesn't seem to be that doesn't seem to blow your skirt up you're more of like hey let's how do we all work together you're you're an artist who understands business fair that's fair to say fair, fair enough okay Absolutely. so then maybe that's the thing it takes like when, when we when we talk to just about everybody it's like I yeah. go into my space and that's when it works best if I'm if I'm not there or if I open a second place or a third place or a tenth like you know, if you go to all these other markets and you're you're still playing with all those markets from the Shreveport market, like originally you were doing, um, why weren't y'all making money on those other ones? You, after ECS branched out, like was there a re- did you ever identify a reason why you weren't profiting? Yeah, I mean Jackson's a big Shreveport. You know, um, I mean they're very cliquish and and it's hard to get in there. And and, and again, it was because Pennzoil, you know, the uh, the refinery here. I had a good relationship with them, and um, he said, do you, you know, they had an IT guy, said, do y'all, you guys want to bid on the contract? And I said, yeah, and, uh, you know, it was just for Shreveport and Carthage for their plants there. And then he said, uh, what about Lafayette? Because the, the Unisys had the rest of the world, and, Shre- and EVCS had Shreveport and Carthage. And so I said, "Yeah, we'll go down Lafayette." So I mean, was it was that an ego thing, or did it? The money no, work? it was it was it was kind of a you know let's test the waters and get they're paying for it basically, yeah. and let's see if we can become a regional a regional uh, company. Well, you know when you get south of I ten, the rules change. Yeah, 
you know, and, and, you know, you have to hire lobbyists and to, to do any business with the state and just yeah. some stuff that I just wasn't, you know, at the end of the day, the numbers look big and great, but at the end of the day, it, it just didn't, it wasn't worth it, you yeah. know? And then, so, you know, we did that for a few years and I didn't really have good people in those, those places, yeah. you know, to really run it. I mean, and we've talked about scale in Shreveport, but I think, I I don't know. I mean, we do keep coming across this idea that if you're not in the building, the, the business doesn't function that well. That doesn't, to me, that doesn't compute. Like, it's like there's got to be a way to scale up. There's got to be a way to either incentivize employees mm-hmm. or create the right culture to where you can go op- operate a second location and then a third location and a fourth location of whatever it is you're doing. But what we're finding out in these conversations is maybe Shreveport is such a small town that if you own that shop, people will buy stuff if you're there. Yeah. They will buy food and drink if you they want to see you, shake your hand. Maybe we're a small town that just can't outgrow that. Maybe scale doesn't work here. I don't know. Well, it, you know, I'll use an example with ECS. So at some point I had to decide, I was a systems engineer, so I'm the guy in the in coat and tie back then that would come into the Pennzoil when their server's down and nobody's working, and I'd save the day, hopefully, and uh, fix the server, and then everybody's clapping or not clapping but anyway um but i either had to keep doing that or be the ceo back then the president of the company and 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 grow the company and that and not not really work on computers anymore and but you kind of wean them off you know yeah and then you you say look i can't come out but i'll have so-and-so come out in my place and then pretty soon the client, we call them clients, but, but they uh, they get pretty used to that other person coming out so you can go and do other things. Um, you know, you're right, though. I, I'm finding that at the music store, too. You know, we've got a great team over there, and uh, and people will come in and just buy from a certain individual. Yeah. You know, it's kind of yeah, kind of weird. But, uh, well, talk about Shreveport Music a little bit. Like, where, where was it uh, from a business perspective? Why did you like Shreveport Music, and why did you want to buy Shreveport Music? Man, well, you know, it kind of fell in my lap. I didn't... I didn't. I wasn't looking to buy a music store. Um, sure you weren't. You know. <laughs> I'm sure your wife says. Sure you weren't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, you know, I, I I I put out a post on Facebook about you know getting out of ECS and kind of kind of what I was doing with JR Ventures and and uh, the owner of Shreveport Music contacted me and said, look, I'm ready to kind of get out. Um, it's been fun, but it wasn't it wasn't profitable. And um, and after looking at the numbers and visiting with all the the existing employees and everything I said man this could, this is going to work and you know and and part of it is you know my my partner and I we're not taking out any a salary or anything out of the the business right now you know it we've had to invest quite a bit just to to get it back up to the stocking levels and 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 make friends with Fender and Yamaha and those guys but uh, it was about to go under and it's a 109 year old music store it's probably the oldest music store in in the country or one of them and, um, and, you know, it's kind of a labor of love. I've been going there since I was 15 years old and now I'm 55. So it's been through a bunch of different, well, it had the primary owner up until about five years ago. And so now, you know, immediately what we did to kind of, you know, spark the culture with the guys is we gave them all raises and we gave them health benefits. They never had bad benefits. And, um, and then we said, you know, you guys are, you guys are in charge. And, um, and then we did some simple things like, uh, you know, we're putting in a phone system that's got a voicemail, you know. <laughs> I mean, they, they've had... In, in, I was tw- in, in 2019, people still leave voicemails? Yeah, well, you know, and I was, you know, I was, uh, um, 
I mean, or just just an answering, you know, yeah, hey, yeah, hey yeah. we're not we're not open right now. I so mean, I mean so you focused on employees yeah. and you focused on the customers tech, and customers well, and the well, technology. Customer, I, I I remember having an answering machine at my law office. You know, when I first opened up, I had a landline and an answering machine. And then at some point, I realized that people who called after five or on the weekends didn't get me. They got an answering machine. They didn't like that. So they want to talk to a human. Yeah. And so I got an answering service. And I get phone calls, you know, throughout the week or weekend or whatever. And it's to me, it's kind of changed the game. Not only for existing clients, but incoming clients. Yeah. So, like, so again, just like you did at ECS, you're focusing on your customers and you're focusing on your employees. Yeah. So how, how are we doing? We're doing good. We're doing good. We've got a lot more traffic coming through. Of course, we bought the store at the slowest time of time of the year. Yeah. So, but you know, we've had to we've had to um, you know re up like I said on the stock. We've got uh, my partner Ken's been collecting guitars for twenty years, so we've got some guitars in there that are you know twenty five thousand dollars. What's your favorite one in there? Well, I like basses, but we don't have any good basses. We we finally got a good bass in from Fender, but, uh, I mean, we've got a 63 Telecaster that's 25,000. Cool. We've got a 57 Les Paul in there. We've got some boutique amps and things like that. Um, it, no, you know, not everybody's going to come in and, and buy that right. guitar, but, but. Well, the, you but, got a 12 year old, uh, kid that wants to start playing guitar. Is there anything yeah. in there for her? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. 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 We've got guitars that are, you know, 200 bucks. Cool. Um, you know, we've got, t- uh, we've got three guys that teach. Um, teach lessons. Um, we've we you know we've put some cool furniture around where people want to come in and sit around and play. Uh, we've got a little coffee area that we're setting up, water and stuff like that. And just try to try to make it like the old days where you go into a music store and you spend hours. Do you get stuff. do you get traffic from Centenary? I mean that's a that's a really they have a good. They're not program as, I don't for think they're music in school right now. But no, they, but I'm but saying yeah, yeah. They said uh, yeah the uh, the guys that are running it said that you know as soon as you know, they get back in school, and also just kids in general get back in school. Yeah. Um, do you so do like band equipment and that stuff? We don't do band do equipment, yeah. But that that's pretty pretty lucrative to Is get it? into that. Yeah, because yeah. when I when I was in the band, I went go to Shreveport Music, and they would rent you a yeah. trombone, and then you would go out and like, and then ding it all up, and then bring yeah. it back, and I'm sure they were like, oh man, this thing yeah. is just trashed. Wow. There's a you know. But there's a, you know, a lot of, uh, we, you know, at, at some point, we're, we're probably going to wait until the first of the year to shut down for a week and build out a vintage room and, re, you know, repaint and, 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 uh, and do some stuff. But, you know, it's, it's, it's attracting people. I mean, we just sold a guitar to Ry Cooter, which is pretty amazing. A friend of mine's um, guitar, to, a Telecaster, so it went to California. And, Did um, you tell your friend that you stole it? And you sold, yeah, sold it yeah, to Ry no, Unfortunately, yeah, he's a good friend of mine. I wouldn't... But um, but no, he was all excited that Rock Hooter bought it. That's pretty know, sweet. It's it's really pretty cool, and uh, they've been talking back and forth via email. But uh, you know, it's again, it's it's just uh, it's an old part of Shreveport that doesn't need to go away. No, King's Highway is fantastic. We were talking to Tim Hunk last week about Pizza King. Yeah, which would be right across the street if it were still open. Pseudo Records. Yeah, yeah. and then mm-hmm. uh, you got you got some cool antique stores and stuff around there, but Strawns and. Yeah, it used to be Leon Smoked Turkey somewhere, you know, yeah. okay cleaners. I wish George's was still around. Yep. Well, yeah, that's a great stretch. Yeah. It's a really cool stretch. Where was Shreveport Music in nineteen ten? Where did it open up? I think it was somewhere downtown. I haven't found a lot of pictures of that. Um, you know, we're gonna try to incorporate some of that in the website, but there was Shreveport um music piano and organ company. If somebody has pictures, send them. 
Yeah, yeah. What, what's your uh, what's your website now? Shreveportmusic.com. Shreveportmusic.com. Yeah. And when did they move out to Burkins? Yeah, they moved out. Uh, so Jack Teach had it, and they were actually right next to Centenary Hardware. We're in the old Centenary Hardware building. Yeah. And so they were right next door to that. And then they moved to Highland, I believe, and then they moved out to Burke Coons, and then they moved to 70th. Okay. And so Jack had it until he passed away, and then Don Teach had it up until, I guess, five or six years ago. And wait, they, they moved from Burke Coons to 70th? Yeah. And then, they, and then you guys... And then they moved back here. Okay. So they've been in this location, I think, for about six years. Okay. All right. And you guys sell... Do you sell horns in there? With no horns. No horns. It's all it's strings all guitars, and drums. bass, yeah. Some some keyboards, not a whole lot. All right. What's your uh, dream group of Shreveport? Who plays guitar in, in your dream team? Oh, man. Well, I've been talking to... Uh, Living or dead? Gosh, man, that's a... In Shreveport? Man, I don't know. I don't know. No? No. James Burton and Kenny Wayne on guitar. Yeah. Who's be, on bass? That'd be good. Are you on bass? Yeah, I'd be on bass. You'd be on bass? Who's on drums? I'm I'm a friend of Dan- Danielle. That plays yeah. with Professor Porkchop. She's okay. good. Who's singing? Well, I got to say Kat Heron, who was in my old band. All right. She's good. So basically your old band. Well, no. Plus no, no, Kenny Wayne, too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I got you. Yeah. Well, um, so Shreveport Music, is it, I... Every time I try to get you, you're over there. Yeah. That's your passion. You're enjoying it. I'm there Tuesdays and Thursdays and Saturdays. Uh, and I'll probably start start getting away from there. I mean, we just launched the website a few days ago, which, you know, I'm kind of the joke was, you know, coming from a tech company, that was the last thing we did. Uh, we've got a new phone, the new phone system going in. They, uh, they just ran fiber to the building, so we'll have, you know, we've got the new POS system. So it's getting, it's getting there. I'm not going to have to be there a whole, whole lot. But you want to be there. Yeah. I mean, I mean you, you didn't run a spreadsheet to determine whether or not you wanted to buy Shreveport Music. No, not really. <laughs> not really. <laughs> no. you, did, you didn't exactly run a spreadsheet no. on Andrus Ford. I mean, I'm sure you did. Oh, I've, I've got, yeah, I've got all the, every scenario for Andrus Ford building, you know, and, and you know, I'm just talking to the, the powers of be at Shreveport. You know, Bobby Jelks is a, a huge uh, mentor of mine and, and friend, and, uh, you know, he... Um, He's given me, you know, some some pointers and advice on the building, but um, it's more of a, you know, it's like Shreveport Music is kind of a labor of love. It's not a, you know, we're not looking to get rich off of it, but at least provide a true. I mean, these guys never really had a career path yeah. that have been working there, and 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 provide a way to, again, you know, it's just, it's just uh, they're going to make it succeed. Well. Um... I don't know if we've ever gone into it on this podcast. Thomas and I have had these conversations before about multi-generational wealth. And sometimes the second and third generation is looking at spreadsheets more than looking at the, the, the concrete of the town. So I mean, what, what about you is different? Like what, what makes you willing to invest money in projects that might not make a return? I'm not saying that I, I have yeah, a feeling that they yeah. are. Yeah. 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 Because you're passionate about them yeah. because you, you seem to have a, a touch, but like, you know, the you could take the same amount of money that you're investing in Treeport Music, the same amount of time that you're putting in Andrews Ford, you could do something that on a spreadsheet makes more money. Sure. Why not? Sure. Like why are you doing what you're doing? Well, you know, again, it's 
you know, I believe in Shreveport, you know, born and raised here, and I see the potential of downtown and what can happen. And you have people y'all's age and younger, you know, that are looking and want this to be a better place. And, and, and why not, you know, why not keep, you know, Shreveport music alive? Um, you know, why not leave something, you know, that's, that's cool. I think that might be a, a bit of that, the scenario for doing something here. You may not get as big of a return, but you get to sleep better at night or you get to leave something behind. You, you're not, you know, once you're gone, you're, you're gone. Yeah. And it's a, if you just took and gave all that money to, you know, someone else, yeah, maybe they, they do something with it or maybe they, you know, move to Japan. What, who knows? Who knows what they do? But if you, if, if, it, if not for you, Shreveport Music would have closed. That's, that's fact. Yeah. Right? Well, and if it weren't for you, there would still be an abandoned building on the corner of Crockett and Common with no, with no future ahead of it. Right. And then also without you, you know, maybe no Red River Brewery, which has gone through several changes, but arguably better than where they thought they were going. Yeah. Who, so, who else are you mentoring too? I mean, I, 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 I know Jared. Jared, Jason Brady, I'm part of the Jason Brady restaurant group. Yeah. So, you know, we, and they've gone through some tough times. With oh, absolutely. Yeah, wine country. Just shut down wine country and, you know, it just, it just wasn't sustainable. I mean, it's 12,000 square foot restaurant and, um, you know, Parish Taco is a great, great concept. Yeah. Um, their, their catering group's doing really, really well. So, um, but yeah, I mean, you, 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 you have their ear. Like, you know what I mean? Like, so, yeah. you know, you, you've probably had some serious discussions with them about try to maintain, try to be stubborn, try to go forward. But rather than that, concentrate on your strengths and eliminate, just like what you guys did in ECS. Yeah. Eliminate the weakness, trim the trim the extraneous stuff, and focus on what you're doing well at and yeah, what's profitable. What you're good at. So we got Jason. Jason, I got Blake Jackson. I'm, I'm an investor in Whisk. So we yeah. got some pretty exciting things coming up with what, that. What's your favorite whiskey? Oh, gosh. Man, I... I Honestly, I haven't been eating them. Um, yeah, I've never had one either. Except, <laughs> except for the two or three that yeah. I ate like last week. Yeah, yeah. Well, row. I know you got that tour thing coming up, so I'll probably eat one. Yeah, yeah. The, the, I, I think the green, the green onion sausage. The green onion sausage is good. Yeah, yeah. and make that sausage in house. Yeah. All right, yeah. so Blake. So, so Blake, um, a spinoff from when we had ECS, we had Synapse Development Group, and a spinoff from Synapse, which was a startup that was called Sky Coach. So that's a. Um, an app that we developed that's, um, you know, it was actually a startup within ECS and we went and raised a, raised a ton of money and um, it's a uh, high school, mainly in high school sports, high school football, it's a replay app. Um, and, you know, we're, we're starting to swim to the surface on that one. Um, Bibby, which is a breastfeeding bib company, that's, a, that's one that I'm invested a little bit in and helped them. Okay. Um, they came through Cohab and just kind of had that, that spark, you know. You yeah. can tell Yeah. if people are passionate about what they're doing. If they come in and go, man, I want to make a million dollars, you go, okay. Yeah. Good luck, <laughs> you know. But, uh, um, gosh, what else? Your name comes up in so many different, so, I mean, obviously in the food and beverage circles that I, that I try to run yeah. in as much as possible that your name pops up. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, the start, like, okay, so Bibby and there's... What's the name of the Baby Sky Coach Whisk? Yeah, Red River. Um, 
But I mean, you helped Coach Jared through that pivot process at Red River to yeah. get to get a food truck moved inside. You probably had to work with Falon a little bit to try to, you know, get that food truck moved inside and become part of Red River. Yeah, I mean, and and, and you know, it's kind of like the conversation I had with him. Um, you know, when we were sitting there looking, I said, "You've got the best tap room in Shreveport." You know, and they do have a good space. And the reason I say that is because. We had a benefit gig for a, a friend of mine, Dorothy Prime, that I used to play with. And uh, we had bands come from Monroe and, and Shreveport. We had a st- kind of a stage area where the stage is now. And then we had another area at the opposite end. And we were just alternating bands playing and trying to raise some money for them. Dole G- um, Jeter from um, um, Enox came over with a bunch of art and everything. And, and every musician came up to me and said, this is the best sounding room I've ever played in. <laughs> and uh, so... You know, got got to thinking about that. Now we've got the stage, obviously, but you know, it was a pretty pretty sizable pivot that they had to do. But I said, look, you got you know the best food, you got the best meat coming from Smith family. You know, now we got glass blowing. That's kind of came with the thing, and then you got you know, and then it's allowed. It's a great environment, you know. And we wanted to stay with a brew pub model because you can either be a distributor, brew pub, or a or a bar because it's a great environment for kids. Yeah. You know, so. Well, um, anybody else you can think of that you're working with in town to improve their business or to? There's a gentleman that's just moved back from Dallas. Uh, he's He was a dentist over there, left his practice, about 175 employees. Um, I won't mention his name right now because we're in very early talks and everything, but he's got a really cool concept for a, a health-related concept for kids. Okay. Um, and he's... We've met a few times. Um, so how did he hear about you? He, how did he hear? He called somebody and they recommended that, you know, that he talked to me. And then Jessica and I met with him. I got you. So, so it's like all entrepreneurial roads in Shreveport. Like <laughs> well, I don't know. I mean, you know, there's some that you just go, man, I don't know. You know, I mean. Um, well, mate, you've positioned yourself there, maybe not intentionally, but I think your passion's why they're just like they do in music. And uh, so in the entrepreneurial spirit, people want to find somebody that actually succeeded in it. And if not, mo- you know, either model themselves after at least bend your ear. Well, that's and you, and you're, you're willing to lend your time. You're willing to invest some money. So like, how do you talk other people with money and time into doing what you do? Well, I think, I, you know, I think the building's a great example. Hopefully that's going to, there, there's a lot of people that own a lot of buildings around Shreveport and nobody's really doing a whole lot. I mean, you look at, you look at, uh, you know, every man and king and what they've got going on and that's a, man, that makes my project look like, you know, building a, a house. Yeah. But, uh, but for somebody in their 30s to kind of get that and go, and hopefully that's going to spark people around there that yeah. start, you know, because there's, there's a lot of people with a lot of money in this town. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot yeah, more than we'll ever see. And, and a uh, lot of them aren't doing anything with it. That's right. And a lot of them are, and, and maybe they're much smarter investors than me, but they're not making decisions based on what they would like to see the future of Shreveport be. They're making decisions on spreadsheets. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, I respect that. As a guy with an accounting degree, I get that. Right. But like, how do you convince them that, yeah, your ROI's is 17% on this project over here, but you could really improve Shreveport with an ROI of 8%. Yeah. Like, how do you, yeah. I don't know how you do that. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a tough one. It, it takes, it takes this same deal. It takes a special person. Yeah. It takes, yeah, yeah, it yeah. takes the person yeah. to be, 
to have to to want to use that energy for that thing. Some people get they get to the point where I think they're they've really worked hard and they've made something. You know, now I'm not saying they started with nothing or started with yeah, something, yeah, yeah. but it's mm-hmm. like you work really hard for a long time. I mean, I, I know, you know, family too. Like there's lots of family businesses here and it's not always the easiest thing to to hand off a business or work with a sibling or a parent. Mm-hmm. Like those things can be really, really labor intensive to the point yeah. where you may feel like, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm leaving. Yeah. I can't. They're do emotionally it. taxing. Just yeah. get your get your return out and go. Yeah, and it's and and some of those things. I know one person specifically that was like, I've been here, you know, 15 years trying to make it go, and it's not going like I want, and that that's all I got. Yeah, like I've got one more sort of shot at, you know, making making it a go, and I'm gonna go do it on my own and mm-hmm. and not be with the family anymore. Like not you know not be against the family, but like, yeah, I'm taking you know my part, and I'm gonna go somewhere else and do it somewhere else because I just feel like that's what I'm supposed to do. Mm-hmm. And then you know like we talked to Randolph, you yeah. know, and he was like, hey, I wanted to you know I wanted to come back here. There's yeah. other mm-hmm. parts of his family's business that he's completely qualified, and and you know his he seems more like civically localized. Yeah. Like that's how he thinks and that's what he's interested in. So yeah. maybe that changes over time, but he's, he's, you know. Yeah. He came back for a reason. His brother came back here for mm-hmm. a reason. Yeah. Uh, he was in the family business elsewhere, but came back here. Um, but yeah, there are, there, uh, you know, I'm sure you fall within this window, but it seems like most of the doers are between 30 and 50. Yeah. Right. Well, I'm 50. Yeah. So I'm, I'm the, but but I'm you're the de- old guy. You're no. definitely one of the the primary doers in town, from what I can tell. But, but there is there is a buzz going around now, and you look at those guys, you know, and you know the usual suspects: Grant Knuckles, Andrew Crawford, Matt Snyder, um, you know, a number of others, Jason Brady, people like that that want to do something, um, and see the city improve. Yeah. And um, and you know, and I'm I'm kind of in that same boat again. I'm uh, you know I wanted a cool office with brick walls, and uh, and I want to be around people. Cool. What what have you like? You've been in a lot of businesses in town, obviously, or at least been a part of helping them grow. What what can the city of Shreveport? Where I we'll start with the the converse. What what isn't Shreveport doing right? in helping or or are they doing everything right man you know i really don't know because i don't deal with you know i mean you know we were all from burt coons our office at ecs so there wasn't really a whole lot of dealing with the city city um you know i haven't gotten a lot far enough along in the building to know what roadblocks i'm gonna run into yeah um have you heard from anybody else that 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 you work with that, well, if the city would be more lenient on this or make a change in this or blah, 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 you know, like, well, I think, I think they're, they're improving on, you know, obviously, you know, on Jared's podcast about the MPC and, and they're improving on that. But if you look at, if you compare Shreveport to Bossier right now, if you look at how fast, because I saw how fast they did the East Bank District. Yeah, it happened overnight. It happened overnight. And, and I, I was actually privy to the plans I remember sitting in CIC with Jimmy Hall and, and, and some other big wigs, and they wanted Cohab to come over there to Bossier. And, um, you know, but, but we were in a lease here and everything, and, and we, we wanted to stay in Shreveport. But, um, but they, they, they had a building for us. 
actively marketing you know, to an existing business. Yeah, and uh, and you know, but again, you know, Liz is Liz has been Swain's been great. She's on the board, um, and and we wanted to stay over here, um, you know, for obvious reasons. But uh, but if they well, what if, are they doing they, different over there that maybe I, we need to yeah, pick up? I on? I don't know how they get things done so fast. <laughs> I really don't. I don't know if it's administration or whatever. I mean, they all, they're, now, they're all they, playing ball on the same team. Now and I know that uh, I know that you know I know Keith Hansen really well, and obviously Mary Perkins, and and you know I think from a technology standpoint, Keith is doing a great job, and and hopefully streamlining a lot of the processes. Yeah, you know I think I think the um, the way it is is everybody goes well. That's the way we've always done it. Mm-hmm. Well. You know, nobody wants to change. He's fighting hard for these like fiber hubs too yeah. in, in some low income neighborhoods, and I think uh, there there was a bond issue committee hearing. Yeah, and I've heard that he really had to go to bat, but he came armed like to the teeth with oh, yeah. graphs, he, yeah. charts, yeah. data, and yeah. said, "This is why we need it. This is why it's going to help, and this this is really what's going on." Because they were trying to cut the funding for that. It, you know. The bond issue, that, right, right. Well, I mean, that was, lately. and I, you know, I had the privilege of being on the technology transition team and everything, and that was one of the one of the recommendations because if you can get broadband to everybody, then you know your employment increases, um, you know, uh, just education increases everything, and uh, and Keith's doing a really good job on that. You know, he's got a tough, it's a tough job. Yeah, I mean, because it, you know, that that whole, you know department wasn't in the best of shape yeah well McElhatton said it best on the, the podcast on the episode two that revenue solves all your problems yeah like I mean what can the city of Shreveport do to increase its revenue well I mean you know we you know it, it's jobs it's like what everybody said on every podcast you've done you know it's it's getting jobs in here but it's not really getting the G- General Motors or the AT&T's or that thing I think you know I'll use ECS as an analogy we had we had a, a large client base, but we never had any really large, big, big clients. You know what I mean? Everybody was in that small to medium, you know, 10 to 250 employee range. So if one dropped off, it didn't hurt us. It wouldn't hurt, you know. So if you look at like a General Motors that's, a, you know, that's um, employing thousands and thousands of people, well, when they leave, you feel that. But if we could get some smaller businesses attracted here because of the real estate we got downtown, the opportunity zones, the other tax codes they can take advantage of, create jobs, and, um, you know, then, then problem solved. Problem solved. Jared made the point that, I guess, all of his work at EAP lately is, I guess, opened his eyes to the number of entrepreneurs that are submitting ideas or that, that want to move forward with entrepreneurial ideas, and they, they go through the EAP. Um some don't come to fruition. Some don't show up for their second meeting, but you know, a lot of them are coming to these guys. And he said, you know, we don't need the GM. We need, I don't know if you've gotten that deep into yeah. that podcast episode yet, but he's, he says, you know, it'd be better to have 50 new companies with five or 10 jobs a piece than one new company with, yeah. you know, 2,500 jobs. Like how do you foster an environment that really cultivates that? Well, you, you know, and, and that, it could be, I don't want to get into politics, more of a statewide problem too, that it's got to be, we've got to be friendly for businesses. Yeah. We've got to, we got to have a reason for businesses to come here. Um, and that's statewide, right? I mean, um, whether it's the, you know, tax incentives or, or whatever. But uh, but you also have, have to have a, a culture, you know, for people, you know, that want to come live here. Yeah. You know, within the city, you know. Um, 
and things are, you know, it's it's like a brewery. You know, I use that as an example. A lot of people come through and, you know, go there and they really enjoy it because it's something different. Oh, yeah. You know. I think somebody that stayed in my Airbnb went to one of your Sunday jam sessions, just thought it was yeah. the greatest thing they'd ever seen. Yeah. They, that's that's every first, every fourth? Every third Sunday. Third Sunday. Yeah, that's a plug for Red River. There you go. Um, but, you know, yeah, the cool thing about it, too, with it being all ages is that we, we have a 10-year-old kid that comes over and he does Elvis. And he's really good. He plays drums and guitar. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and I've so, seen him up on stage there before. Yeah, so you know, you see his mom, you know, and, and it's just a great environment because it's from three o'clock to eight o'clock. And you know, the problem we're having now is that you know so many musicians are coming out that a lot of them don't get to play because it's kind of first come first serve. So you get to turn it into the first and third. And maybe yeah, we're we're talking about that. Okay. Well, the the parking lot's packed. Luckily, there's enough parking spaces. Yep. According to the NPC, yeah, Jerry yeah. had to fight that battle. <laughs> but uh, so, I mean, yeah, I think we're moving forward in the culture aspect. I mean, it's a fun place to live. There's a lot of stuff to do. Um, you've run successful businesses here, and you you've you're fostering or at least mentoring some other businesses that seem to be operating successfully. So, why is it why is it not friendly to open a business here in Shreveport or in, in the state of Louisiana? Is it is it a lot more expensive to own and operate a business here than it is? No, in no, it's not. Um, you know, I think it's perception, probably. Yeah. Um, you know, us being this, you know, education wise, and and you know, I don't know. I mean, you know that 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 has a lot to do with it. Well, um, how do you change perceptions, though? There, there seems to be. A perception of there, there are certain perceptions that that I don't necessarily see, but I do hear people talking about, and I don't know. I don't know how you change it. I don't. I mean, yeah, I guess does Shreveport need to engage in some type of full scale marketing effort to tell the world that that we're pretty, you know, we're, well, we're a, think, a mid-sized city with a small town attitude, cheap to open up, cheap to operate, cheap to live. Yeah, I think you know. I mean, certainly, but I think I think. What happens too is, and, and what I told somebody is, in talking about my building and, and the uh, the distillery and stuff, when you start seeing progress and things going on, and people are actually seeing a, you know, when's the last time we had a crane down here? Yeah, that's you know, and you <laughs> how know, many cranes are down there? Yeah, not and, not any right now. But, when but you, yeah, but when you, I mean, when you drive past the Anders Ford building, you would look at it and go, man, that's that's a that's awful, yeah. you know, and it's just gonna you know decay, but. When you start seeing the the ivy ripped off of it and, and a new roof going on and and stuff and a big banner that says you know Andrews Arts and Artist and Entrepreneur Center, and then you've got the, the distillery going at the same time and you start seeing progress and you know so you you see that from Common Street well also the Shreveport Common area and there's a there's that row of, um, of buildings there that on that Texas that little angle thing that I think it's they're they're pretty much you know, bought up and hopefully people start doing something with that too. Yeah. Texas Ave. Like, yeah, Texas yeah. Avenue. But, um, you know, and you see like the municipal auditorium when you're there sitting at the table with me, the second act yep. club. And I mean, how cool is that? You know? And, that, yeah. And, and how good was that dinner too? Oh, it was great. It's incredible. Did you but, guys like the tongue? I, I did. I did. I ate the tongue. My okay. wife, my wife was a little, I think my wife was pretty, uh, not not interesting. Well, I was okay. telling I was telling tongue jokes and cow cow jokes. So it was bad. I ate the tongue. Okay. I mean, and, we, and just a few days prior to that, we'd had Jason Brady talking about bison tongue and how you do it, and um, it was tasty. 
It's on a, a celery root puree. Mm-hmm. It was really good. It's fantastic. Anthony Fallon, uh, I think he can cook. Yeah, I think he's, he's pretty good really at cooking. Good cook. And you know, and it's it's you know, it's it's sad to see him leave uh, the brewery and everything. But uh, by the same token, I mean he's, you know, he's a he's a he's quite an artist. He really is. His, his food is on a different level, and he's he's going to make a go of it on the corner of Centenary, on the corner of Cresswell and King. So that's going to be. I've always liked. I like Columbia Cafe when it was open, and mm-hmm. Highland Table and Stir before that. That's really how I met Chase Boydham, is hanging out at Stir too much with him and Paul, and uh, I, it's a really cool location. I hope he kills it over yeah. there, um, and I hope Jared can figure out a way to to have some super high quality food in Red River. Yeah, because people are expecting it now when they show oh, yeah. up there. Yeah, they, they want those amazing burgers and salads and yeah. everything else. Um, all right, so let's get creative here. From First Methodist Church on Texas Street, all the way to um, Missing Link, mm-hmm. got some vacancies. Yeah, the old salon. There's an old CPA firm. There's the Robinson Film Center, the Shreveport Bar Foundation. There's uh, the Rhino. Mm-hmm. The lofts, the Parish Taco. There's a lot of vacancies on both sides of the street. What do you put in there? Gosh, that's a great, great question. How do you fill those vacancies? I mean, we could just say residential upstairs. Okay, done. Yeah. What do we put downstairs that works? I think more restaurants downtown would be good. Okay. Um, Jason Brady said he wants to open a barbecue shop. Yep, yeah, that's one of his concepts. Um, you know, some retail maybe. I mean, something that attracts people to come downtown. How do you get people on the sidewalks? Patios? Patios. More rhino more, patios? Yeah, more rhino type patios. Is the um, city open to that? Or they, is yeah. that a one and done thing? No, they're, they're open to that. Okay. Yeah. Is Paris Taco getting a patio? They're going to eventually, yeah. And then Art Space can, I mean, like. Yeah, we can go right in front of Art Space. Right. What goes into the Joey Guin Salon? Right there, like right when you come off of Common or the yeah, Texas. Yeah, I know. Gosh, I don't, man. Do we need another bar? Do we need another. Why not a salon? I mean, it's... Yeah, so, well, there, there, there's I mean, one at 624. I don't know oh, how many salons true. you can that's have. That's true. There's yeah. already one there. But what if it was a barbershop? There used to be a lot of music stores downtown, too. Yeah. Shreveport yeah. Music has just announced right now that they are going to be going into that building, and I think it's exciting. <laughs> yeah, yeah, let me get this one finished first. <laughs> well, All right, so, I mean, do you have any... What would you buy? What would what, All right, so you're already at Rhino. You're drinking coffee. And there's think, something across the street that you want to go spend money on. What I think it? it. I think it. I think Whisk could do do well downtown. Yeah, a cool you bakery know, would be good. Yeah. You know, a cool bakery. Um, a real delicatessen. Okay. You know, I mean, when I were when I worked downtown from '87 to '94, there was more restaurants down there. Yeah. You know, and you could walk to Theo's or what was the what was the good restaurant? Like, what was the sort of go to? Not yeah. not super fancy, but it's like oh, lunch once a week. I'm definitely going there. Well, I mean, I like Cali's Po' Boy when it was there. Um, Theo's Pano Panos was all right, but uh, I love that. I love that building. Like yeah, the the yeah. colorful. It looked like um, yeah. the chairs in an elementary school cafeteria. Yeah, yeah. but it, I had lots of like Greek kind of little delis look like they just yeah. feel that way. You go in and there's that kind of weird scene on the wall. Yeah, Coke bottle glass. That yeah. Was a, yeah, yeah, that was an odd place, but uh, it was cool. So, more po' boys, more delicatessen than diner. You know, maybe. I, don't I mean, know. if they, you know, more more um, clubs like Noble Savage. 
you know. Music. Yeah, what, describe the club scene in the '80s when you were playing bass oh, up man. and down. I mean, y'all had a lot of stuff going. on. Oh yeah, well we were all you know in the '80s. It was Shrew Square was happening. You had Humphreys, of course. That where's that? Was, now? That's the Chicago. No, it's nothing. It's uh, it's rotting. You know, it's ne- uh, it's connected to sports page to to the, the wall that fell in. Yeah. So you had you had that. You had Steamboat Annie's where Killer Beach really got our start. I mean, we were playing a lot of clubs with Bill. Bill Griffith, you know, gave us the every Wednesday night, so we built up a following. And you, and you know, and back then too, I mean, clubs weren't uh, bars weren't afraid to charge cover charge. Yeah, you know, to pay for the band, and um, you know, but but yeah, you could play there Wednesday night, and then we'd wheel everything over to Humphreys and play Thursday, Friday, Saturday night. Was the culture different then? Like, what, what, why would, why could, could Shreveport pack out a house on Wednesday? You could drink when you were eighteen. Uh, yeah, you yeah, know, drinking was eighteen. You couldn't drink at all in. Yeah. Rustin, you you know, yeah. I mean, East it, Texas yeah. was coming over here because that was that had just changed in Texas. What year did it change from eighteen to twenty one? It was before. Yeah, it was way before Louis. Louisiana was one of the last. Oh yeah, that was federal states. highway money that could turn yeah. that corner too. Yeah, but uh, I just think you know people moved out, you know, moved further south. Um, yeah, and and so it was more of a pain to come in. You know, what would uh, the crowd look like? Was it predominantly eighteen to twenty-five, or was it? Did you have a lot? Yeah, of I mean, there was there was you know eighteen to thirty-ish, thirty-something. You know, so we should lower the drinking age to like fifteen. <laughs> no, yeah, kids, twelve-year-olds, yeah. they like yeah. to go out. Yeah, twelve-year-olds yeah. love going out. I they, think. Do, they enjoy it. <laughs> well, if they say seventeen and eighteen and nineteen-year-olds do. Yeah, <laughs> yeah go down, go down to Baton Rouge and see that. Certainly not think that's going to happen. But mm-hmm. you know, the other thing too, you know. Um, on the flip side, you know, like for the older generation like me, I mean, I don't like starting a gig at 10 o'clock at night. And some people don't start going out until midnight. And, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm you know, 10 to 2 Well, But there was a there was a concept that they were going to do at Pseudo's, which is now that antique, called Early Bird Cafe. They're going to have bands start like at 6 or 7 and cap, capture the um, capture the crowd coming from Where is this? work. Yeah, Pseudo's was right, right across from Pizza King. Okay, yeah. Right next to the... Counterculture. I got you. All right, so I'm I'm giving you a grocery store in downtown. Like I'm up. It's how now do you get to pick the inventory? How do you make money on a grocery store? Oh man, where do you put it? What where? Like, give me your business model for a grocery store downtown. It it would need to be close to well, you know, the standards. I think they're talking about doing something like that in the standard. Tim Huck wanted either the standard or the old D's photo. Mm-hmm. I'm obsessed with the old East photo. I mean, right there. I, in the, I, I, yeah, know. I like that. I like that. I just don't know how walkable. Yeah, you, you know, cross twenty lanes I mean, of traffic on either direction. But right, if you put it, if you put it in the bottom of the standard, what does it look like when you walk in? Is it a supermarket? Is it a C store? Or is it like a Maxwell's? What's it look like? I think it's more like a Maxwell's, probably. Uh, like a nice produce stand. Okay. Um, you know, local meats. Um. Is it a commission-based deal, like Smith Family Farms drops off some meat and they get a chunk or they rent space? Or how, how does the business model work to profit? Or, or whoever's running the store buys the meat from Smith at wholesale. Okay. You know, Turns it over, tries to make a profit tries on it. Tries to make a profit on it. But you have to have a lot of foot traffic coming through. Okay. You know. So located under a place with you know, residential up top? Standard is smart? I think the standard would probably work. Um, or somewhere between the standard and the loss. Do you think it would work? Honest opinion, do you think it would work? Man, I don't know, you know, because uh, they tried that experiment where uh, Windrush Grill is, 
and you know you're throwing away a lot of produce. Oh yeah. You know, if it doesn't turn. But well, I don't know. You know, Providence and downtown are a lot different. One reason I like three one eight or the the um, the old East photo is you. If you're in a high rise downtown, you see the rooftop of that place. So you have free advertising to you know six thousand people or five thousand people all day. You've got you've you've got if you have vendors inside and they're paying rent, they could pay you or yeah. running space to put their wares in it, like their pre-made boxed meals or their you know whatever they make, their salsas, or, you know whatever. They can also rent advertising space from you. Yeah. And that advertising space is wall space and it's rooftop space for advertising. I don't know. So I'm trying to monetize the entire building in my head. Like so you would have you, like, you're not making a profit on your lettuce. So how do you make a profit? You monetize advertising space. I don't know. Well, we went to we were we just came back from Michigan and we went to a place that was kind of like what you're talking about where yeah. everybody had a little nook. Yep. And one was selling vegetables, one was selling Milk and, and they're renting that space. And they're renting that space. Yeah. And it was really, it was really pretty cool. And, uh, so they can figure out their own profit margin. They're they're going to be paying two hundred a month yeah. rent to the grocery store for their, you know, ten feet wide by ten feet tall or five feet tall space. What do they put in it to make the most profit? Yeah. I guess. And did it work? Were there people in there? Yeah, there's people in there. Mm-hmm. Did you buy anything? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Bought some coffee and what else? I think we got some cheese. They're, they're, they're fans of their cheese up there. Hmm. Michigan. What part of Michigan? We were up at um, Bay City. Pretty up here this time the, of year? In the, in the thumb, the thumb area. In the, in the <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's pretty. The it was thumb. hot. Yeah, Wait, it, was, it was hot. Yeah, it was I thought, hot. I thought just you go up there Everybody, in August because it's not yeah. hot. Everybody sitting around Lake of whatever lake's up there. All right, what... What can the city do or citizens of the city do to move the city forward? Like, what, what do you see Shreveport doing in the next 20 years? You know, if, if, if we're talking about positive direction, what do you think the city as a city government needs to do or what does it need to get behind to move the city in a positive direction? Well, I think you, I th- I think you kind of hit the nail on the head. You know, marketing the city outside of, you know, just sitting here. Um, you know, I think Brandon's doing a good job with economic development. I think he's getting out. Adrian, you know, Mayor Parkins seems to be getting out more marketing the city. Um, you know, as far as the citizens around here, I, you know, I would I would tout, you know, support local, shop local. You know, yeah. I see a lot of people that are, you know, there's too many, um, you know, try to get people to come back downtown, put put things here that people want to come downtown. Yeah. Um, and make it easier for business, you know, and I don't know, again, I don't know how difficult it is for a business to get started here. So uh, how do you make it easier for a business to open up shop downtown? Well, I think well, kind of what they're doing as far as the procedures and, and streamlining the process of, you know, the government red tape and everything. Okay. Parking, do you think parking needs to change, modify? Is it, is parking Okay. You know, People just need to be educated that there is enough parking. There's ample parking. We're, we're spoiled. Oh, yeah. You know, if we can't get parked right in front of a restaurant, walk inside, get a table, we're mad. Yep. And you go to Dallas, you know, you hang around the Greenville area, you're parking four blocks away, you're going, you're, you're waiting two hours or an hour to get into you're a restaurant. You're catching an Uber. You know, you're catching an Uber or whatever. So I think parking's probably fine. I mean, we don't need any more parking lots. I agree. You know, or, I mean... 
it, I don't think it's a problem. I mean, I like to walk, you know, so I'll, I'll walk from Cohab to Paris Taco, you know, when it's not 100 degrees outside. Gotcha. You can walk in the shade. I find if you, you know, figure out which yeah. side the sun's on, you go on the opposite side of the building and it's, yeah. it's not so bad. It's like rocket science. Yeah, well, it's like NASA out there. <laughs> Just find the shade. Stay yeah. In the shade. All right. Well, is, is how's the DDA doing? Is the DDA doing a good job for the guys like Rhino and Parish Taco? They're supporting it with Art Walk. Yeah, I think DDA is doing a good job. I mean, you know, Liz has helped me out a lot. You know, just giving me pointers on the building and everything. And um, you know, I like the the Art Walk. Try to participate whenever I can. Um, just doing, bringing different events downtown. Um, yeah, so yeah, I, I, there's no complaints there. Well, do you have do you have any solutions for any of Shreveport's major problems? I mean, we, we all know what the major problems are, and we don't we don't beat the dead horse on here. But are there any solutions that you see to some of Shreveport's major? You know, the poverty problems, the we have crime problems, and perception issues too. That's a yeah. perception is its own problem. Yeah. So, I mean, do you have any solutions to any of these problems that you'd like to put out there? You know, I, th- I think, man, that's a tough one. Again, it goes back to jobs, taxes, you know, and having the funding to, to, you know, take care of the police, take care of, you know, the picking up trash. And well, Do you see you any know. cities out there that are doing it correctly that we could model ourselves after? Man, have you studied any of I that kind of stuff? I haven't really studied any of that. Yeah. It's a, Tim Wright and I have been talking. He's the Reform Shreveport fellow. He offered, yeah. offices out of Cohab sure. here. And um, they study that sort of thing. They actually have data on it. Yeah, we Talk, were just talking about that when y'all were. Yeah. Like, yeah. like I'm always in here chewing the fat with people and just throwing out ideas. But like he can actually have data and say, yeah, well, that sure. doesn't work, Josh. This is why. What, what did he say? What's his? Oh, we, we, we've generalized. Okay. Like, but. But when we have him on in a, in a couple of weeks, I think he's going to bring the laptop and blow we'll look it up. Yep. Oof. We'll we'll talk about how to. I don't know. We'll talk about cost per acre, mm-hmm. and revenue per acre, mm-hmm. and and certain uh, metrics like that that his company actually looks into. Um, what do you think? I mean, we've talked about this a lot, but what do you think Shreveport has going for it? Like your one of your favorite things about Shreveport, and then how do you market that to the world? Well, I, I you know. Again, and I know a lot of your uh, previous guests have said that, you know, it's easy to get around. Um, there's a lot of real estate downtown that can probably be bought fairly cheap. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's the right size city to me, you know, growing up. I mean, there's, there's plenty of things to do here. Um, but it's also not like a, the big city, you know, a big city. So. Well, cool. We just go to East Texas and tell those people to come over here and yeah. buy some real estate. Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, we've gone through most of this stuff, but I'm, I'm asking you, Jim Walsh is not going to be our next podcast guest. <laughs> so you can't say Jim. But um, who's our next podcast guest? Oh, man. Um, you know, I, again, I'm a fan of Grant Knuckles, Andrew Crawford, Matt Snyder. Um a gentleman in Monroe, Michael Eccles, who's running for state representative, but he's also developed about 15, 10, he's purchased, I think, 14 properties along Desired Street. Nice. And other things, and he's developed about 10 of them. 
Jason Brady and I went over there because they were looking to put a Parish Taco okay. underneath one of them. He'd be a really good guess. Um, I'd love to have him on here. Um, I can get you his contact information. Um, oh, Angie White. All right. NLEP, but also with Slow Food. Who else? Can't think of anybody else off the top of my head. All right. So Michael Eccles, Angie White, Grant Knuckles, Matt Snyder, Andrew Crawford. Okay. Fair enough. Um, if you could send a text message out to everybody in Shreveport, what would it say? Support local. Support local. That one's already taken. And buy a guitar. Buy a guitar. <laughs> Support a local guitar. Where can people reach out and find you and pick your brain and take more of your time? Than well, the email address, Jim, at jrmventures.net. Jim at jrmventures.net or again on a cohab Wednesdays and Fridays. Cohab Wednesdays and Fridays. Music store Tuesdays and Thursdays. Shreveport Music Tuesdays and Thursdays. Buy a guitar with Jim Walsh. Anything else? Come on. No, I think. I think we covered it. You got it covered, Jim? Right. I think so. Thank you for being here. We really yeah, appreciate man. it. Enjoyed it. 3180 Podcast is adjourned.